Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. You know, today we conclude our series, The Triumph of the Lamb, our study in the book of Revelation, as we go to Revelation 22, 16 to 21, with a message entitled, Come, Lord Jesus. I think that every Christian, no matter what they're going through and no matter what their personality or their upbringing, is at their core a deep, committed, and unrepentant optimist. We are a hopeful people. We don't, as they say, think everything is going into the toilet. We, we think Christ's kingdom is going to triumph. We, we think evil can't win. We think that our very best days are definitely not behind us. And we think that we will one day be victorious, and therefore, that makes any struggle we presently endure worth it all. We think life has meaning. We think there is joy in the morning. We think our enemies will not triumph over us. We think that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth, and we, his people, will face an endless tomorrow of peace and righteousness and joy. Scratch a real Christian, and that is the sentiment they bleed. And that's why they get up for any struggle, and that's why they're not afraid, and that's why they will not compromise with evil. You know, today is my last message on the book of Revelation. Indeed, all through, this is my 65th message on this book, and I do believe that I have but scratched the surface. But I end this book today and do so by reading Revelation 22, 16 to 21, which are also the last words in our Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, you might wonder how one should end the book of Revelation. You know, after all the images, the throne room of heaven, seven horsemen, trumpets, the seven bowls of God's wrath, the utter destruction of Babylon, the return of Christ, the millennium, the great white throne of God's judgment, and and now finally the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, what words might one use to summarize a message that is so overwhelming that it tends to leave one breathless in wonder? And as John brings this book to an end, he has four things he wants to say. The first is a message from Jesus telling us who this message is all about. And second, there's an invitation to come and be a part of the glory of the kingdom of Jesus. And third, there's a word of warning. And finally, there's a word of assurance. So let's listen as John gives us four final words from Revelation. First, a message from Jesus and about Jesus. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. See, I want you to notice that the book of Revelation is written for the churches. You might, of course, respond by saying, well, I guess that's obvious. 
I mean, from the very beginning, we have been told that this book was sent and read in seven churches in Asia. And of course, after John had completed the book, you know, in some fashion, a messenger would have taken this book and he would have gone in a circular route from one church to the next. And you can imagine that there would have been worshipers gathered on a Sunday, and then they heard this book being read. No doubt they would have wanted a copy to be made. And so after hearing it, they would have wanted time to study it and to digest the message. But in verse 16, the language suggests that this is for all the churches. It was Jesus himself who insisted that the churches hear this message. And that's important for us to hear today because some of the complexity of this book and because the way some people have interpreted it and it's resulted in so much controversy, this book has become neglected in the churches today. But notice the phrase, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. Another translation says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with this testimony. That's probably a more accurate translation. And this sentence reminds us of how the book of Revelation began. Listen again to the first two lines of the book. It began this way, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, you know, so far, that's what we've seen in this book, now follow along, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. That is to say, this book, Revelation, is a testimony both from Jesus and it's also a testimony about Jesus. Now, it is true that the origin of this book is that it is from Jesus, but it's also true that the content of this book is about Jesus. We meet him at the beginning of the book as the glorified and resurrected Son of God. And so impressive is this Jesus that John falls at his feet as though dead. And then we meet him again as he walks among the churches, giving a special message to each church. He's been watching his churches carefully. He never takes his eyes off his church, even for a moment. And then we meet him again at the throne room of the Father and realize that he alone is worthy to break the seals and to enact the eternal plan of the Father. And we meet him again all the way through. And finally, as one comes to the end, he defeats all evil and proves himself to be equal with the Father. Even as the Father is the Alpha and the Omega, so also is the Son. And that's why John makes sure that the church should know this. This book is from Jesus, he says, but it is about Jesus. Jesus is the root of David. He is the one destined to rule the earth. If the church does not know it, they should now know it in the reading of this book, and they should realize that Jesus is greater than they had imagined. And if they have missed that, they've missed the essence of the book. See, this book is written so that every church should read and study it, and so that every church should gain an understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, and that his glory is greater than the glory of the Roman Empire. And so before I end, says John, understand that this book is a message from Jesus to the church. Treat this book this way. Second, before I end, says John, don't just study the book to try to figure out, you know, an end-time scenario. You've got to read the book of Revelation as an invitation. Look again at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
So notice that the invitation comes from both the Spirit and the bride. The Spirit, well, that's the the Holy Spirit. And the bride, well, that's a reference to the church who is the wife of the Lamb. And so we should see that even though the message of Revelation is, is given to the church, the result of the message of Revelation is an invitation to the world. When the events of this book are over, it's going to be too late to accept the invitation then. No, no. The invitation has to be given now. Now is the time to respond. And so the Holy Spirit is, through this book, making an appeal. Come. We know that's one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays in this world. He convicts the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. We also know that it is the Holy Spirit who changes human hearts, making them receptive to Jesus. But the church here joins with the Holy Spirit and makes the same invitation to anyone who will listen. And with that, John also appeals to anyone who is thirsty to come. You know, John knows that there will be those who prefer the false prophet and the beast to the lamb. But John also knows that there are some who are thirsty. You know, if anything, the book of Revelation is a call for the church to actively reach out to anyone who thirsts. And maybe that's the new immigrant into this country. Perhaps it's a work colleague, an old friend, or a relative, or someone who by the providence of God has been placed into your life. And the invitation is for the one who is thirsty to the one who desires to take of the water of life. You know, I've learned that over the years that there are many who are hungry and thirsty. I've also learned that a great many Christians spend far too much time wringing their hands over what's wrong with the world rather than embracing the glorious truth that the Lamb will be victorious and that there are those who thirst for what he has to give. There are those who are unhappy with Babylon and who long for the new Jerusalem. And so it is both the Spirit and the bride that make the invitation come. And fascinatingly enough, in the next section, the section of warning not to tamper with this book, John is clearly cognizant that the book of Revelation itself will attract many to read, and those who read will thirst for what it offers. And so John knows the purpose of this book is not for bored Christians to speculate, but this book is an evangelistic tract inviting anyone who is thirsty to come. It may sound early to be planning for a winter retreat in 2020, but now is the time to make sure your spot is guaranteed for the 2020 Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. Join us February 7th to 16th, 2020 for nine nights aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curaçao, Bonaire, and more. Not only will you enjoy the beauty of the Caribbean, but throughout the trip you'll be enriched and challenged by the insightful Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfield, experience laughs and encouragement with Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and enjoy special inspirational music, all while being hosted by our ministry team. So register now or find out more by visiting backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now don't delay, we're looking forward to seeing you on board. Every preacher I've ever known has struggled with how to begin each sermon and how to end it. That's also true of authors, I think. 
how to begin a book and how to finish it well. Well, when John finished the book of Revelation, he did so with four very important takeaways. First, he said, know that this book is a testimony about Jesus. It's about his glory and his splendor and his power. And second, make sure that you use this book as an evangelistic tract. Invite men and women who are sin-sick and unfulfilled by living in Babylon to come. Now third, John gives a stern warning. It's found in verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. There are those who have thought that this word is specifically directed at, you know, any future scribes who might want to change some of the text that John has written. Remember that because there was no printing press in that day, the only way to receive an additional copy was to employ a scribe who would be known for both accuracy and beauty of writing, and so they would make a copy from the original. And then depending on the scribe, John perhaps would be giving a warning to any scribe who might be tempted to find some of the message offensive or who might want to put their own stamp into the book. And so they might add or subtract according to how they thought the book should go. And so John, at least as some interpret this passage, see this as a severe warning to any scribe who's tempted to change even a word of what was written. Now, that might well be the case. I mean, we've already said that all the churches that heard this book being read on a Sunday morning would no doubt want to procure their own copy of the book. And so we have to imagine that there would have been a high demand for the book and that scribes were instantly put to work. You know, as much as I suppose this interpretation of the warning makes sense, I do notice, however, that the warning is specifically directed not at scribes, but at hearers. Notice the warning. It says, I warn everyone who hears. Now, this warning, while it can be applied to scribes, was given specifically not to them, but to the hearers, church members in the seven churches. And so imagine you're a member of the early church in Ephesus. Your pastor, the apostle John, has been taken into exile. But one morning you hear that this is going to be a very special Sunday. John has written a lengthy book to be read at this Sunday's worship service. And it's exciting. Although your pastor isn't there, he sent a message and the sermon is about to be read. But then because your pastor is the last living apostle, you also know that there's so much more to him than just a pastor. He was appointed by Jesus himself. He was appointed to accurately explain the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. And more, you now learn that the letter that he's just sent came directly from Jesus. Jesus has appeared to your pastor John while he was on Patmos, and he gave him a message through an angel. And so you settle in and listen, and soon you're in awe. You've never heard of anything that comes close to this before. And then as the message comes to an end, your pastor has a message for everyone in the congregation. If any of you add to the message of what you've just heard, God will add to you the plagues that are written in this book. And suddenly you feel goosebumps. And then if anyone takes away even a portion of what you've heard, God will take away your place in the New Jerusalem. And then you would instantly know what's being said. Don't you dare distort this message. Your eternity depends on this. Now, that's not the only time the Bible speaks this way. You know, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, Moses told Israel, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it. 
One also has a very similar word found in the writings of the Apostle Paul. He said, and here I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That is, you must stay within the boundaries of the written and the enduring word of God. And so even while it is true that the warning at the end of Revelation is a warning that is meant to be directly applied to the book of Revelation, I think we can safely take this warning and apply it to all of the 66 books of the Bible that comprise the written revelation of God. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, and here I'm quoting Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Or consider Jesus' words recorded in John 10.35 that Scripture cannot be broken. We get the idea. Don't you dare tamper with Scripture by either adding to it or by detracting from it. You know, I once had a seminary professor who used to say, you know, on a given point of Scripture, he says, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul is in error here. Now, when he did that, he did that with such a matter-of-fact voice. He was the scholar and he was simply looking at the veracity of the evidence. And I still shudder when I think about that. If we read the warning at the end of Revelation with care, we will see that there is a seriousness with which we must approach not only the book of Revelation, but all of Scripture. Every teacher of the Word is mandated under divine threat never to tamper with the Word. Furthermore, every Christian is told that it matters not what we think or what we want to emphasize or what in the Bible we find to be inconvenient. I say this, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the Trinity, the substitutionary nature of our salvation, the reality of an eternal heaven or an eternal hell, or even if we're talking about sex and sexuality and what purity looks like there, or the proper roles of men and women, or the teaching around how to handle money, or the final victory of the Lamb of God. Do not detract from the actual text of Scripture, and don't you dare add to it. Content yourself not to go beyond what is written. Content yourself to say no more and no less than what the text actually says. And I might even add to that the idea that this text seems to indicate that everyone who has access to the tree of life is going to treat the Scripture in exactly this way. Because to put it plainly, Christians are people of the book. We think that the thoughts of the Bible are weightier than the thoughts of any man. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now then, how does one end the book of Revelation? You know, John ends by proclaiming first that the book is about Jesus, second, that it's an evangelistic tract, and third, that it is sacred scripture and must be obeyed. And with that, John now comes to one more thing. And with these words, he's ready for a benediction. Verse 20 says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. He who testifies about these things, well, that's none other than John himself. Remember, he's a prophet and he's been given the right to speak on behalf of Jesus. And as Jesus' prophet, the one who speaks on his behalf, John assures his listeners that Jesus has indeed promised that he's coming soon. And as Jesus' prophet, John tells us that's exactly what Jesus said. See, I think it no exaggeration to say that every single believer in Jesus lives constantly with that reminder. Let's say you're planning a new business venture. Well, you should do it, but you should also remember that he's coming soon. Let's say you're planning to get married. Well, go ahead and do it, but you should remember that he's coming soon. Let's say you're planning a career 
or let's say you're suffering a life-ending illness. Remember, he's coming soon. Every single venture in life is now lived out under the assurance that Jesus, who cannot lie, is coming soon. See, we think of this when we're tempted and when we're tested, when we're persecuted and when we're being praised. We think of it when we are defeated in a venture and when we succeed. The final measure of all we think about is thought under the refrain, he is coming soon. And John himself, when he recounts these words, gives a response to them. Amen, he says. That is, so be it, so let it be. See, I want you to think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. There Paul said, our Lord, come. Now that phrase got attached to a very early Christian liturgy. You know, that phrase, our Lord, come, in Aramaic is Maranatha. And the early church said these words constantly, and they often ended a church service with those very words. So how about you? Are you fixated on our Lord's return? Do thoughts of his coming dominate your thinking? Or have you lost the ability with John to say, Amen, come Lord Jesus, I I can't wait. And then having wonderfully ended the book, John adds a final word of benediction. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. That is, may God's willingness to bless his people apart from anything they have done or anything they have accomplished or earned, based only upon his love, expressed in his covenant on the cross, may that grace attend all of God's people. Amen, so be it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the assurance that we have. Our Lord is coming soon. John, thanks so much for today and for this great series. Just want to ask you a question. You know, Revelation, although it talks about future, it really is a call for us towards evangelism, to telling other people about this great future that's in store. Yeah, I, you know, I, by the way, Ben, on that topic, I find that there are a lot of non-Christians who have an interest in what's in that book, the book of Revelation. So, you know, I think it'd be a great topic that somebody might have with a, you know, a non-Christian friend and say, you know, I've been studying the book of Revelation. Are you interested in that? I'm going to guess that a lot of people would say yes. I mean, they might draw a blank when it comes to, you know, Colossians or Habakkuk, but Revelation, I mean, everyone's got an idea about it. So I think there's a, there's a curiosity. And I mean, what comes out of it is that hopefulness, that, 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 that undiminished optimism that I spoke about. I mean, I, that's got to be a, a, an attraction for anyone listening. Thanks so much, John. And thanks again for this series. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Truth and Life magazine is our free bi-monthly ministry magazine. Each issue offers unique Bible teaching articles from Dr. John Newfeld, words of encouragement from Phil Calloway, and a host of other engaging and thoughtful articles from guest authors and pastors designed to challenge and instruct you in God's Word. Along with Bible teaching and engagement articles, Truth and Life magazine includes Dr. Newfeld's Read Through the Bible in a Year guide, updates and news on all Back to the Bible ministry events and activities, and information on all of our free Bible resources, like Truth and Life magazine. If you'd like information on receiving the magazine or any of the resources of Back to the Bible Canada, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca. One last note, the next issue of Truth and Life magazine is available in April, so sign up for your free subscription today.